shake it out, shake it out. <laughs> uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Queers Do Cinema. This is uh, one of my favorite topics, and I'm sort of uh, really happy that we're going to do an episode on a horror film. Uh, it is, uh, I think it goes back to the origins of the podcast, which began as I was writing my syllabus for a queer film history class, and there were several arguments amongst a couple of us here on the podcast about whether or not to even include queer horror as a as a queer genre. Um, I included it anyway, and the students loved it. So um, I feel like we're in a, hitting a moment of, of really widespread kind of queer queerness in horror. And I hope this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the origins of it and maybe the sort of the historical moments of queerness in horror film. Uh, and so to start with, I am James Zado. I am the CEO, executive director of the Queer Film Institute, which produces Wicked Queer Boston's LGBTQ Film Festival. And I will throw it to our other panel people who would like to jump in and introduce themselves. I'll do it just so we don't have a pause. Jeff Winter with the Film Collaborative. I'm executive director of an independent uh, distribution company in Los Angeles, and we work 50% in queer film, and I've been working in queer film for 30 years, um, and I'll throw it over to Allegra. Hello, I am Allegra Madsen. I am uh the interim executive director of Frameline San Francisco International LGBTQ Q plus film festival uh where uh i am normally the director of programming um i and my pronouns are she her i always forget so yes uh and i'll, I'll pass it to jared i'm jared vincenti he him i've been a filmmaker film programmer um i'm on the board of the queer film institute uh with james uh where we help make queer film happen in boston and we have a special guest this evening, and I will introduce uh, the wonderful Kaylin Chu I've known for many years, the, the director and founder of the Salem Horror Film Festival. And please, Kay, if you'd like to jump in and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Kay Lynch. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the founder of Salem Horror Fest and creative director of Cinema Salem. Uh, so let's jump right to it. I feel like this is a pretty big topic, and I will probably range a bunch of different places today and I think I wanted it out of the gate um, sort of unpack what we think about when we think about horror film I think this is an easy way to get into arguments with film fans mm -hmm. <laughs> or I think I can't identify a horror film but I know it when I see it um, this is probably one of the paths to go down but I think for the purposes of this conversation it might be nice to sort of define it and, and what we think about in terms of queer, uh, not just queer history, but but film history, and then maybe segue into its representation as queerness in queer cinema. Um, now, you think define it. You work in the horror film genre. How, how do you decide? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's find it's a, a horror film. So I'm probably going to have the most liberal definition of horror than anyone here. And possibly anyone, period. <laughs> because, um, so back in the day, I used to work at Blockbuster. And as probably most of us know, when we had physical media that had to be put on a shelf, it had to go in a category. It had to go in the drama section, the comedy section, the action, the sci-fi, or the horror. Uh, you know, one title couldn't live in two places. It would just, or three places, just be chaos. 
So I think that in that situation, it was very helpful to have really rigid um, parameters as to what a genre was. But since I feel that is less mm, useful because for me, when I think about genres, I think of them more like metadata where a film doesn't have to be purely horror or sci-fi is that sometimes they can have elements of both or horror and comedy and they might be more dominant in one genre. I think horror comedies is a good one. Sometimes there are horror comedies and then there are comedies with horrific elements. You know, like Death Becomes Her. For me, it's a horror film, but it's more of a comedy than it is a horror film. Um, versus, uh, I don't know, what would be... Um, I'm trying to think what would be like horror first, comedy second. Maybe Shaun of the Dead. Um, yeah. You know, so, um, so for me... I kind of just ascribe them as metadata where one film can have several different genres. And then maybe if it's a world bu word bubble, the genre, the size of each aspect of its genre, you know, fluctuates. Um, so with horror films, it's for me, it's, I think one obvious go-to is that something that evokes fear, that evokes people's fears. Um and I think that's where most people's definition would, would lie. Uh, but for me, I would expand that to anxieties. Um, that, you know, things that are, you know, because I think what's so important and what's interesting, especially as it pertains to queer horror, is that there are certain experiences in our lives as queer people that are horrific and terrifying that others might not be able to relate to or understand but it doesn't me make it any less terrifying to me or to or to other people who, who experience the same thing and so i think that's why um i'm drawn to horror is because i think it is a great tool for understanding um not only the things that frighten us personally but the ways in which films reflect the cultural anxieties and how they capture a moment in time and what does this film say about the things that as a community um, people are, are wrestling with. And within that, people have different perspectives. Um, and so that's why I got into horror and why I want to start a festival, because um, I just think that it's nonstop and those conversations can be had. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a perfect start. And then because you touched on so many things about what we think about um representation in cinema and 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 how these horrific elements of our culture emerge in film i know where i think we're all of a certain age where we can remember the birth of cell phones in the 90s and there were all these kind of horror thriller films centered on cell phones like you know or the internet right the internet was like a terrifying there was a bunch of horror films about the internet coming to get you oh, they were right <laughs> <laughs> that one came true <laughs> uh, but it really is like horror becomes this manifestation of our cultural anxiety and our cultural fears and and you know I, I was talking earlier before we started recording but you know there's a lot of arguments around film horror film scholars about when horror begins as a genre and most of them don't situate it until we get to the sound era with mostly James Whale right he's seen as sort of the founding father of contemporary what we think of as a contemporary horror film 
Um, but if you look to early film, you can sort of see elements of Edgar Allan Poe and the sort of gothic horror that emerges in film right away. You know, we have Thomas Edison makes a version of Frankenstein in, in 1910. And it's, and it's on YouTube. I encourage everyone to watch it because it's the most freaky, bizarre version of Frankenstein um, where the monster just looks like some like some queer, crazy, like paper mache thing. Um, but so it begins like, you know, as a, as a mode for us to kind of express and visualize these elements of our culture that terrify people. Right. And James Whale was gay. So does that come up a lot in the discussion of horror? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 Mary Shelley was bi or pan or you know some some aspect of the queer spectrum. Um, because certainly these terms probably did not exist as they do today back then. So, um, but yeah, one of my favorite things is when people are like, keep your politics out of horror or like I'm sick of hearing about queer horror or whatever. It's like you know what, <laughs> Mary Shelley was a was a bisexual teenager daughter of political um like extremists or (laughs) radicals right um and she you know she's the grandmother of horror i mean there's so many adaptations of frankenstein you know the the book came out more than 200 years ago so it it precedes film um bram stoker is another one Mm -hmm. i was just reading the other day some love letters he wrote to walt whitman that are like really sweet and also like kind of horny <laughs> and um and you know obviously he created dracula which is like right. if you know there's frankenstein and dracula it doesn't get bigger than that um and so i just i think that you can't separate queerness from horror because um i think that we understand it so well there's you know of course the the aspect of being othered you know being um called a monster or being portrayed as a monster um and shunned by society i think that's Mm -hmm. something a lot of queer people sadly can relate to um but then there's the element of catharsis when or or like reclaiming monstrosity and it's like well if they're gonna treat me like a monster see me like a monster then i'm just gonna be the monster what other benefit am i getting by you know and 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 embracing that monstrosity and i think that like carrie for example Mm. i think you know on one hand it, it, it it can be seen as problematic that I was so drawn to Carrie while I was in high school because essentially she like carries out a school massacre. Um, but at the same time, it's like, fuck, I can relate to that. And I get catharsis from that. And I think that uh, when it comes to horror um, and, and as it pertains to queer people or any kind of identity, whether you're a woman or a person of color, I think that um, that element of otherness is always prevalent. And I think that because we share that anxiety, we need catharsis. And that's what I think horror is really good for, is to allow us to mm, uh, kind of uh, play out our darker fantasies so that we don't have to. (laughs) One of the things I want to make sure we all talk about and then, you know, make sure everybody talk guests to talk is the you know is that um uh you know generally in this journey we we see it as the changing from the overt patho- pathologization of queerness in early horror 
um, to a point of where we can turn that around and express some sort of, as you're saying, catharsis and also, you know, drawing on the queer experience to, you know, use horror as as part of it. So I, I just wanted wondered if you wanted to go give us some sense of that early pathology. I hate that word, pathologization. <laughs> and uh, to where you get to contemporary liberation horror, which is mm. fucking new as far as I can tell. <laughs> you know? oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think one big difference is for from since the beginning of time, there were queer elements in horror films, um, but they were not... Um, text they're all subtext um some uh intentional there were some queer themes like you could it's likely that james whale had a lot of queer themes in his films that were intentional um but then there are films like probably i would say carrie would be one where it's like you know i think that there's queer subtext in that film um but unlikely that it was intentional on Stephen king's part or da palma's part Mm -hmm. Um, but it, you know, it, it's still something I can identify. And so I feel like <clears throat> as queer people, we have un- unfortunately had to look for ourselves in the subtext for so long and kind of, while we were not welcome in certain spaces, we had to reclaim different corners and, and almost like project ourselves in order to see. But we were um, also, as you say, the monsters, because in Psycho and in Dress to Kill and in, you know, Cruising and Silence of the Lambs, because horror is based in, it's so often based in psychosexual fears mm-hmm. and sexuality is so easy to tie to villainry and queerness as, you know, perverting sexuality and queerness as a monster in society, you know, so much of horror comes from fear of queer people look at all the disney villains <laughs> they're all flamboyant <laughs> um and so you so know I, james did i just have a question for you james do you have a time that you would say you we, we get to start to turn that around well i think you know one of the things that we were talking as, as you were talking about bram stoker i again thinking about the transformation of dracula and the vampire who originates as this sort of horrific kind of skeletal thing in in nosferatu you know this very dark monster like a literal monster yeah and then we get to hollywood of 1930s and you have you know the debonair all of a sudden dracula is this very suave and seductive character that lures you into the dark side or you know and after he, you know, kills you <laughs> or turns you into bad. But so you see the sort of sexualization of like, well, you know, there is this other, but it's powerful and attractive, but we have to kill it because it's too powerful and too attractive. But, you know, and so I, I sort of position it there, but also you look at um, The Haunting from, the, uh, gosh, what year is that? 1963. Right. And you begin to see this repositioning and to some degree, it's it's sort of tied with the emergence of gay liberation and the more presence of out gay people. You begin to see a little bit of a shift. And a lot of this was due with like the ending of the, the Hayes Code and production sort of shifting and allowing kind of Roger Corman making these really low-grade horror films that begin to have this sort of campiness, which begins to make it much more queer. And I think by the, we get to the 70s and, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of like blows everything up. Mm. And is like the comedy horror sexual film. <laughs> mm. 
because yeah, I think now like the where we go from only being able to see ourselves in subtext to on the other side of the spectrum where we are now these characters are overtly queer you know we're able to bring it into the text and we're now starting to see films like Fear Street where it's like no these not only are you know these queer characters are queer teenagers you know Chucky mm. the TV series too we're, we're starting to see stories <laughs> of queer youth but it's no longer implied we're able to embrace it and it's like true representation which I think is can I ask you a question, Allegra? I know I'm not really the MC, but I always I because I always really like the stories that you tell, Allegra, of when you're growing up and first seeing movies. I think it's always because like I'm older than you, so uh, you know I remember being very formed by things like Dress to Kill and and you know Hunger. Great, well, Hunger was very nice, but these <laughs> things. These things that um, inter- really dramatically increased my internal homophobia, okay? You know, things like, I don't want to be anything like that, like in Dress mm-hmm. to Kill and those Science of the Lamb, you know, really, really made me feel bad about myself. And I'm always curious, when you're growing up in these stories, you, it often seems like you didn't suffer quite the same <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just curious as to like you're growing up when you started to see because I know you you love killer movies so yeah I don't mind I don't mind people getting getting murdered I guess I don't mind gore so I was just curious as to like when you when you grow up what your earliest experiences with horror films were and how they um impacted you I mean, I had no parent, had very little parental regulation on what I I was watching on HBO, and so I was terrified of like everything. Like I saw, like the first horror movie I really saw was Cujo, and I still like. I mean, dogs are fine, but I still look at them like, mm, am I? <laughs> um, but like the experience that you're talking about. Jeffrey I think I like Hellraiser kind of did that yeah. for me um like I, I I didn't have the language or words to talk about it but I was like whatever that is I can't be associated <laughs> with it and it was fine because it was the monster anyway you know like um and so I'm, I'm trying to to think of any other um now I feel like I have to figure out no I was okay I watched all these like <laughs> like Nightmare on Elm Street <laughs> um I watched all these uh mo- moments where I didn't want to dissociate with the queer character but that's not true like um like Hellraiser really scared me on a lot of different levels that I didn't understand it was like this uh, this uh um it was a terrifying it's a terrifying image uh pinhead is terrifying everything's terrifying and then the like opening of a weird uh or not a weird but the opening up of, of, a, of a of a sexuality that i or, or a sexual expression that i just didn't fully understand and i knew was not like approved by the church <laughs> was like <laughs> was like, like oh my god <laughs> Horror is also just supposed to scare you of sex in general, right? Like it's like back to the Halloweens and, you know, nightmare. All of that stuff mm-hmm. was usually teenagers fucking and then getting killed. 
right? Like yes. On Elm Street, yeah. Well, you are you are punished for being ag- aggressively sexual, yeah. And that usually comes down to killing women, right? So I always think, you know, if this is based in sexism, queers are just going to fall by the wayside after that, right? And it's 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 always going to be. That's why I think that Hitchcock thing is always in that psychosexual fear of women. Like he's not a homosexual, the psycho guy. He just dresses like his mom, which we're supposed to interpret. I mean, he's masturbating to the girls, assumably, but because he's dressing like his mom, we're supposed to think he's gay, right? So it's super confusing in what that means. It just means queer as in perverted. A boogie person. Yeah, boogie person, exactly. Yeah, Jerry. I, I, I didn't think about it until uh, Allegra said this, but like I think so much of my early experience of horror, I have a hard time saying like was what what was their queer representation because like it was like we didn't have cable at my house growing up. So whenever I stepped over at my grandparents' house, like I would just watch cable all night and I had no idea what the movies were. And like it's a it's a format of consumption that we don't have. And like years later, like I watched the thing and I was like, oh, my God, I think I watched this when I was eight years old at my grandparents house at like two in the morning. Um, And so like so much of like I I guarantee the influence of like horror films that I watched at that time was like entirely subliminal. And I can't tell you what these movies are, but there was something that just like drew me as a child to be like, I don't need to go to bed. I'm going to watch like all the things that we don't have at home. Like, and like a lot of it, like didn't make a strong image. Like I watched all the Jaws movies. I was like, oh, cool. The shark eats people. And it didn't like have, have a deep, deep impact. But the thing I think unsettled me in a certain level. Hmm. Um, And the thing's a great example because it's, um, it's, I don't, I mean, there's a lot of arguments about how it being a metaphor for the early striking of AIDS. So the, the timing kind of doesn't i think it's a little too early although 1982 i think it was was just hitting um and so but that was talk about destabilized bodies right it was just the sort of amorphic monstrous creature that is transmitted by blood right and so i can see why historians go back to it now like oh it's really talking about aids it's really talking about this sort of queerness all these men alone um you know trapped on the ice with this monster I mean, it's I like think the, queer panic. The undercurrent, right, right. The undercurrent of homophobia and, you know, queer panic is, yeah, ingrained in that movie. But certainly we happening in L.A. in 82. But, right. um, well, yeah, I, I think when it started to turn around for me was not, and it has, it's interesting, you went back to the other vampire movies, but when it really turned around for me was Interview with the Vampire, the, the, the books, um, Anne, Anne Rice. Because that was just below explicit, although they went more explicit as the books went along to where it was basically porn, but gay porn. But, um, you know, reading uh, the books in like 87, I think I read it. No, 85 um, was essentially a huge part of my actual coming out. The, The how excited I was by getting by the vampire sex in that. Recently, I was talking to a friend in college. He was like, no, I saw you having your gay realization reading and interview the vampire. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know it at the time. It was like a year or two later I came out, but I was definitely getting hard-ons reading that book. 
<laughs> and is, you're not gay you're just a vampire <laughs> <laughs> and i only got past the i haven't gone past the yeah. first book now i need to go read them i didn't realize they got that. <laughs> vampireless dad gets explicitly explicitly gay and then vampire mondo is gay porn so um, <laughs> and they and that's why they stopped making them but you know now we've gotten a time where the series is now explicitly queer theory and has taken us to this place that I never even imagined was possible. It's so gay, right? And, and and queer theory. So, you know, they're like, for me, that was the that was the point where I was able to see myself as a hedonistic night creature, drug addict, all the things that I truly am. <laughs> and be able to be like <laughs> and to be like, oh yeah, vampire. There you go. <laughs> That's what well, we call those. Maybe that's a good segue to think about, you know, to shift a little bit into to sort of more contemporary films that we think were like, you know, really spoke to us. Maybe not super like the last couple of years, but maybe, you know, as we hit the 2000s and, and the sort of the big rise of queer cinema, um, I think about like Ginger Snaps um, was one of the first really cool, like queer film, queer, like queer werewolves, right? Am, am I remember this correctly? Hey, that's the queer werewolves, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not overtly queer, but it's like very queer themed. Yeah, it's right. like, yeah, it's yeah. um. Hey, I'd love to hear what were your some of your formative queer horror? Like, oh, this is queer horror, and you like enjoyed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, growing, I it took me a long time to understand who I am, <laughs> and um, so there were a lot of things that just whipped right by me um Carrie was so huge for me that was like that was the film that like got me into horror period I just remember watching that film and how it made my heart race and the stinger at the end making me feel like I was having a heart attack at the time in school we had a box in biology class for anonymous questions that were really intended for the type of questions that kids might be embarrassed to ask about their changing bodies, for example. Um, but my question was, what is that feeling when you're watching a horror movie? It feels like you're having a heart attack. <laughs> and we learned about adrenaline that day. <laughs> so I was, like, I was like, I want that. I want more of that. It made me feel kind of exhilarated and powerful. And, um, and so that kind of led me down that path. Um, but, you know, as I got older and started to understand more about my gender, there's a lot of films that I had seen that I look back on and I sort of understand them in a different way of why they may have connected with me. And so for me, one of the biggest queer films that I identify with is the 1942 film Cat People um, by Jacques Tonor, one of Al Luton's um, films. And um, it's it's a film very much about repressed sexuality and identity and mental health. Like, you know, it's about depression. And um, one of the lines in the film is, I like the dark. It's friendly. And that was something that really <laughs> stuck with me because it's like, well, why? When I look at horror, I'm drawn to it because it comforts me. Why do these things comfort me? <laughs> What's going on here? Um, so. I, and for me, what I've come up with, my theory of what how horror can be comforting for, for some people, is that 
um, Carnival of Souls is a good example. This, do you know the film? No, tell it. So it's about this woman. She basically gets in a car wreck and she walks away from it and goes back to her life. But then all of a sudden she's seeing these ghouls pop up everywhere and she's having these like mental breakdowns and everywhere she looks, these ghouls are coming for her. And, um, and so the carnival of souls is, you know, exactly what it, what the title is it's these ghouls that dance and lure her to these dark corners and for me when I watch that feel some people go oh that's scary or weird or it makes me feel unsettled and I'm like well that's how I experience life <laughs> it's like that level of like anxiety and dread is my daily experience and so often we are told that our experience is wrong. You know, growing up, my parents, I, I knew that I needed therapy, but my parents said they didn't believe in therapy. And so I felt very trapped by that and constantly told that my experience was not right. And so when I'd see horror films and I go, well, that's, that's how I experienced life. Uh, I'm not crazy. This experience exists elsewhere for other people. And it gave me a sense of belonging. Um, so much so to the point when I first met my, my current therapist, um, I was going through a really uh, hard time. So we had to get to know each other very quickly and I was able to use Carnival Souls as a handshake film. And I was like, have you seen the movie Carnival Souls? She hadn't. Um, I said, it's in public domain. It's very easily accessible. I just watched the film. That is how I experienced life. (laughs) And she watched it and it clicked with her. Okay, I know where you're coming from. And it, and it was a really good shortcut to to getting to know each other. The thing that you mentioned earlier that I just want to make sure we get right into at this point, James, if you don't mind, I don't know. is like horror based in the queer experience, right? Horror, because the big struggle for me is like, that early horror and so much of horror is based in a regressive queerness, right? Regressive picture of queerness. But there's something very progressive or possibly progressive in saying, here, this is the queer experience, sort of like what you're talking about, your personal <laughs> experience. Um, here's the queer experience that we we know and we share of the and there's a lot of horror in it as oppressed people, bullied, bullied people, you know. And then specific, like gay settings, like a cruising park or something like that. Um, and there's a lot of richness for creating a horror out of that, right? So like where it can be regressive, where cruising, you're being cruised by a shadowy gay killer, right? And it also can be like Strangers by the Lake where it's uh strangers by the lake is for me the first time i was like that is a gay world and yes there are going to be killers in the gay world that are and like we are drawing on our gay experience we're not everybody's having sex that's not the problem here it's just that there's a serial killer in here somewhere um so those are the things that i think are really really interesting when we like take the specific gay experience and i'm just gonna say one last thing which is so for me the the realization of what queer horror could and should be came with the black horror big revolution of get out 
right? Which was like, which I know for so many people is a revelation just because Get Out was like, I'm a black person in the white world. This is my weirdo experience of being a black person in the white world. I will create the metaphoric horror movie that is not actually that different than my real life, right? <laughs> um and that, you know, and that, but by allowing it to have a metaphor or, you know, like a fantasy s- sequence, I can tell my real life in a way that we'll all enjoy, which I guess is an adrenaline rush. I never really thought of it. So I'm just wondering, like, if people have those movies where they're like, oh, this is like you just said, Kay, where this is a hard, this is like, you know, this is like, like my real life, but sort of my fantasy version of it. Um, that was a weird question, but I would just wonder if people have things like a get out when they realize, oh, that's how, that's what horror movies can do. Does that make sense, James? What do you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough question. I think the first thing I was thinking about when I was doing my list today was, uh, Nightbreed, Clive Barker's film, where it's all the weirdos who live in the cemetery. Like, I was just like, oh my God, that's me and my friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and of course Clyde Barker's gay and like you know he would go he, I think I can't remember chronologically I don't know if you do Kay if he comes before or after um, the Pinhead films I think uh, Hellraiser as yeah. a film it comes after it comes right. after the film yeah Okay. I'm not sure in the book the the way the stories were written, the chronology of the stories but yeah I think yeah. Hellraiser was 87 and Nightbreed was 1989 90 yeah that could be somewhere on it yeah yeah Allegra, do you have those ones where you can first see queer as a metaphor you could relate to that you didn't i don't don't know that i've ever seen a queer it was something that i would qualify as like a queer get out that does it does it quite like that i feel like everything has always it's always been subtext uh and if we want to include subtext then I, can we talk about the witches of the late nineties? <laughs> like, because th- that, when that kind of, for me answers uh, your question previously, like what, what was your experience growing up? I grew up with the witches of the late nineties. <laughs> like I, like those were the most lesbian things I've ever seen. Like the craft, uh, the witches of East Lake, like all of those, like for me were very charged uh, and like, mm-hmm. Maybe I was a little perv and I just saw it where I needed to go. <laughs> but like, I I think that was a really interesting moment in the late 90s, early 2000s, where like, there were just witches everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, well, I I've think seen. Witches have been a matriarchal version of horror for long time. <laughs> so for sure, women's power. Yeah, Jared. Um, you know, I think I, I've got two answers to this. One is like, I have a hard time comparing anything to Get Out because like it really is a perfect film. And I don't think I've ever seen uh, a film to explore the, the queer experience through that lens with that degree of mastery. Um, I also like, you know, I I feel bad saying this sometimes, like to me, like queer life has never been a horror. Like I've never felt like, you know, the, the wretched, anxious outcast. Um, and so like, I'm sure there are films that, that manifest that well, that just haven't connected well with me. So there's, there's queer horror films that I love that I've enjoyed. 
Um, and it ranges from, you know, I think someone already mentioned Stranger by the Lake, which is great. It's just like a very well done, um, you know, the, the, the horror of letting your desire get control of you. Um, uh, to, um, oh, James, what's it called? Thirst? Thirst. The, uh, the Icelandic dick vampire where he like bites all the dicks off. Uh, <coughs> like, I loved it. It's great. But like, it's not like really like saying something about the queer experience so much as like, I just love like working adjacent to film at a time when films like this can get made like that. That's to me, like a lot of my celebration of queer horror is just like their existence more so than like a, a profound personal connection to my experience. Yeah, no, that's why I brought up the age thing. Cause I think that's true. But of course not all people are as mentally healthy as you, Jared. And and in case you hadn't noticed, some of is still very real. <laughs> and that's like why I sort of bought it. I want to talk about this film that Allegra, I don't think you actually personally saw because there was a fucked up sound at it when we when it was submitted to you and before I came on board. But yeah, um the judgment, you know, yeah. this movie. So yeah. I'm just gonna plug it because I think it has a lot to do with the direction of where we're going. And now it's getting out there and starting to um win awards and stuff like today, uh these days. Anyway, um so I talked to a filmmaker today. This is now I'm giving you a se- segue. Talked to a filmmaker today. He is now a refuge a refugee in Columbus, Ohio, because he started a gay magazine in Bangladesh um through three or four years ago and al-qaeda came and killed the people that started it with him his two friends and he started it al-qaeda came and killed his two friends for starting this gay magazine he was he escaped to refugee status in ohio okay did that scare everybody (laughs) it should have um and you know that's incredibly common in this large world really and, you know, like, the judgment is about this, um, these two Muslim gay guys who live in L.A. One of them has grown up mostly in the States. One of them really is from Egypt. They're both Egyptian. They are lovers. It is made by an Egyptian filmmaker. He shot it. He lives in Egypt. He had to shoot it in Lebanon because he get thrown. they'd all get thrown in jail in Egypt. Anyway, so it's about this American gay Muslim couple that goes back to Egypt because somebody's parent has died. And then they're realizing how much homophobia still exists in there and their fear of terror of religion. And um, and of course, they have to go back in the closet being there. And so everything becomes this horror of having lived an open life and going back to religious terror and political terror and all this kind of thing and it's really like the and and, you know it all sort of and then it starts by them saying um in egypt magic and science are also reality like there's no and you know there's no sort of separation in the people's minds so he gets into it anyway i just think that this kind of thing which um is really like sort of the future of this, where we're really diving in deep to, it may not be the horror of your queer experience, you know, um, but into uh, where we can explore these sort of very politically charged realms, but in a way that makes it 
you know, like really relatable for people. Does that make sense? <laughs> well, that, yeah. that's one of the joys of running a film festival is yeah. that I get to see a lot of films that are grassroots. They're DIY. They're coming from small budgets and driven by passion. You know, these people who just they need to tell this story and it's hard to make any film but to make one with such few resources is even more um you know of a challenge and so um i get really excited when i see all these different queer concepts coming through the horror genre um just in the last couple of years we've had um you know this gay boy from russia who had to flee russia and made a you know made a film that that won an award at our fest a trans teenager from australia alice mayo mckay who she just turned 20 and has already made five feature films but her first was so vam which got picked up by shutter and you know has 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 grown um, and she's got a new film, T-Blockers and Satanic Panic. And um, and I'm just constantly in awe of her, of how she could just keep telling these, like every film is a different subgenre of horror that tackles a different queer theme. Mm. Um, and to, um, you know, uh, K-11 is her name. She's a, les- she's a, Pakist- a lesbian Pakistani woman who um her films all deal with queerness and and be muslim and the the family issues um that come with that and so it's just to me that's the greatest reward is to be able to see these films come in and give them a platform for other people to experience them that is really one of the things that i love about horror as a genre is its abundance and the way in which like like you don't see people trying to diy like period pieces and you get some like diy romances <laughs> yeah you do like, <laughs> yeah. Want to, like they just don't get very far <laughs> they don't get as far and i think that you know in like the the world, or I hate to say the market, the the people who watch horror are more forgiving of like production value. Like it's not a queer film at all, but I love uh, American Movie. Does everyone remember this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a documentary about this small time filmmaker trying to make a horror film outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And like, I just like love that film from the bottom of my soul because it just shows how like movies can um, can inspire people to just go make art. And for some reason, it's almost always horror films that that folks are out there like trudging through the snow with a camera they rented by like bamboozling grandpa of a thousand dollars to make happen. And and horror fans are often... Oh, I was saying, and horror fans are often trudging um, through the schlock. You know, there's a lot of really bad, terrible horror out there. But as you had alluded, the horror audience is voracious. We're always, you know, we'll go through, I don't know, 20 horror films to find one incredible one. <laughs> right. I, and maybe since I am, we're coming up on the hour and I, I actually have to go right at six. You guys can continue if I need to drop off. But, um, what about like uh, stuff you're seeing right now that's really exciting? Um, I'm saying that because Allegra, you brought up 
you know, uh, women in horror and horror, horror, horror that's based in being a woman, where we're talking about horror and being based in queer, which obviously are often connected, but are often not connected. So, well, you know, it, this kind of actually, you, you asked me a question, it usually takes me 20 minutes to think of, think of the answer. Um, but okay, first of all, being a female presenting person in the world is can be fucking horrific. It's scary. It's all of those things all the time. So like, why is this not like, why hasn't this always been fertile ground for <laughs> fertile ground for um for uh for for horror? And I was really excited uh, about um, birth rebirth, uh, which is about the. It's like I think it's a nurse and a doctor, and this like this the doctor scientist has like uh, figured out how to reanimate dead tissue and ba it's basically a retelling of the frankenstein story but with like queer mothers and like also being a mother is utter horror it's like body horror it's psychological horror it's all of those things and this movie really just is like look at this horror it's a metaphor but it's not <laughs> so it's very <laughs> in the get out sort of vein yeah and then i also wanted to throw out how amazing two movies are like one was dead ring or not no it's a series dead ringers with uh rachel weiss first two rachel weiss's okay <laughs> who, who doesn't want that i'm listening <laughs> um, but it's like really about you know seizing control of our own bodies and like how terrifying the world sees that as like which is like really kind of uh kind of a bizarre thing like you know, women or anyone really seizing complete control of their own bodies and, and and changing them in any way is really something that the world sees as horror uh and so this kind of flips it which i also like because it's this retelling of you know uh, of dead ringer in like with 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 rachel weiss as opposed to um to as opposed to some dude some dude i don't know who who was it oh, what was his name i mean it's a cronenberg film oh my god yeah. what's his name jeremy irons jeremy irons yes and the last one i'm just gonna uh push it in is uh she is conan which was uh i just showed it last night as part of our frameline fangs um uh, screening which is uh a retelling of the the Conan myth uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger from the eighties, like super toxic masculinity, hyper male, but it's uh, it, it's it's an all female cast, and it's it, it is like it's about it, it becomes about like morality and amorality and like the like utter grotesque brutality of of loving other people. Uh, so it's like it takes this like super toxic masculine masculine trope that was about, all about. Um, you know, saving the princess. Although Grace Jones was in the second Conan, so I can just let that be. But uh, in the, it's the like saving the princess and saving the world and having like a you know muscles and a, a clear morality and making it into this like feminine story that is about like mm, it's all kind of brutal and disgusting. I just want to I want to throw out a. Um a salute in a way that nobody ever wants to do, but I'm just going to do it anyway, which is, although I don't think that we have a get out, right? There's no indie master like that. 
And I think we've all been in pursuit of that, of a queer breakout moment. To me, it almost became irrelevant and in a way that he always manages to do, which is Ryan Murphy has done queer horror. Like, he has a way of also making things feel schlocky and trashy, and but sometimes it's a masterpiece. And I have to say, I American Horror Story in New York City, which is a serial killer and AIDS coming and gay sex nonstop and sex and club. Like, I think he has done it. You know, like everything American Horror Story is basic. It's just it's in such a commercial form that maybe cinemaphiles like us want to look down our noses. At, although I'd love to hear if anybody else thinks. I, I think it, some of it is so scary I can't watch it. <laughs> and it is all rooted in the queer experience. And I, so I, I do actually think that a queer horror has finally arrived. And I, I didn't think that like two years ago. I thought... We were waiting for that moment, but I do think he has done it now. Katie, well, I, I know we're getting close to the end, I'm sorry, but I don't want to throw this like massive question out there. But it's maybe it's a good point to to wrap up on is that um, for you know, I've always felt as a sort of a genre, especially within the queer film community, horror was much more dismissed and kind of ignored. It's like, well, that's we're we're erudite queer people we don't watch horror film that's like it's you know it's it's not art house it's not and so there's and i think this is also sort of a cultural perception about horror film as a rule right it's all low budget and you know it's terrible and it's gross and it's seen as kind of low culture versus high culture right and so i feel like we're hitting a moment where that is just kind of gone like you know no we are now at a stage where we're we're going to make it you know, and we're not there for queer sci-fi yet, unfortunately, <laughs> but, you know, we got, we're in the queer horror kind of renaissance to some degree. Okay, you probably do the best wrap-up for that. Why do you think horror is suddenly in a place where it's uh, cert certainly more respectable than it's ever been, if not, I think it might be fully respectable now? <laughs> um, a, a few reasons. I mean, one is accessibility with streaming and everything. You know, we're drowning in content and the level of investment that it takes to watch something is so low that I think people, um, people are being exposed to a lot more styles and a lot more types of stories and voices. And so um, I think that could be a part of it. I also, you know, I always get a kick when you see these headlines about horror is big again, horror is like the box, horror at the box office. And it's like, bitch, horror is always saving Hollywood's ass. You know what I mean? Like horror has always performed well. You, you, you can make a lot of money without spending a lot of money in horror. And so that was one of the... the <laughs> the areas right I, I get a little heated because it's like do we really have to talk about the legitimacy of horror again because it's like it's always been a box office darling and you know throughout the pandemic and since you know horror helps keep the industry afloat mm -hmm. um partly because of the the frequency and the volume of it and the how passionate the base is um as a festival director for me, one of the biggest compliments that I get is when I connect to someone who doesn't consider themselves a horror fan, because I often really like to talk about the horror films for their thematic elements and how they reflect moments in history 
and the politics of the time and different people's experiences. And when I see people who, who, who consider themselves not a horror fan, they go, oh, I haven't considered it like that before. And they might not, you know, go rent a bunch of horror films, but they're thinking about their value differently. And, um, and as an intellectual exercise, um, academia is full of pop academia of like lectures about horror and um, in an academic setting. And I think that is really exciting. And I, there's a huge audience that doesn't even watch horror films, but follows the academia. Um, and so I think the internet and, and everything has just uh, broadened our reach for different ideas. And that's some, you know, there's, we don't have a monoculture anymore. So that, you know, it's for, for everyone that for there to be this perception that horror is low brow, for there to be a perception really about any dominant idea is, is not possible anymore. And so I think it's, that has its pros and cons. Yeah, I like your point about the the economics. Like, I think it's it's hard to divorce that, like, because there aren't, like, prestige two to five million dollar films getting made anymore you have incredibly talented filmmakers making things like the witch the babadook hereditary midsummer none of these are queer but like i think that there's a respectability for like really talented filmmakers to make like horror films now and i think that that you know to james's point is like why it's in vogue and why like serious art helps people now like horror because serious filmmakers are making horror because it's where they get to do what they like um with a reasonable budget it's economical <laughs> not to and sound like most... everything <laughs> it's economical and freeing right like it allows you to use your imagination in a way that within a can like a little bedroom drama you know you you get you're all stuck in damn contemporary morals and all that <laughs> right like it's a, that's why i think the sci-fi thing is the goal is like that will allow you to pick up get really big and that's what i like but yeah we don't have the money for that yet Not in no. <laughs> but we have the money in horror and that's i i agree with you guys that's where it's coming from we have the money within the horror context to do that right Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. This was a that's a perfect way to to wrap up. Thanks, Kay, for being here. Appreciate you, and we can talk about Lita Ford later. Um, Kay and I were we're like obsessed, both mutually obsessed with Lita Ford. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, thanks everyone for being here, uh, and we will see you next episode. Thank you. Thank you. All right.